I want to introduce two guests. First, Jocelyn Sue, who is the co-founder and chief product officer for AR Wall. Hi, thanks for having us. Okay, everybody turn their mics on. Great, you guys are smarter than I am. And then Renee Amador, who is the co-founder, CEO, and president of AR Wall. Hello, John. Thanks for having us. Yeah, welcome. Thanks for coming. So let's talk a little bit about, let's give kind of a framework here about what virtual production is now. Everybody talks about the Mandalorian, okay, as sort of the, the first big example of what virtual production is. So um, you'll have to decide who wants to speak about this first. Let's talk a little bit about their setup. What do they use for virtual production? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Mandalorian uh, was famous for being one of the first major projects to do uh, these type of LED backdrops with camera tracking, uh, with real-time uh, environments, everything like that. Um, so I believe most of that uh, work was done, the actual content was Unreal Engine. Um, and then the screens were a, uh, a row Black Pearl, um, a brand of um, um, LED screens. I believe it was uh, 2.6 millimeters, somewhere around there. Explain. Oh, yeah, yeah. briefly what okay. that means. 2.6 <laughs> millimeter pitch. Okay, so this is the, the if you're new to this side of LED backdrops and that type of stuff, you're, you're going to have to learn what pitch size is. So basically, um, pitch size describes the space between the pixels, the diodes on the actual LED screen. So the uh, smaller the distance, the smaller the pitch size. So what you're looking at behind us here is 1.5 millimeters. So that means there's 1.5 millimeters between each pixel. Uh, so 2.6 millimeter would mean that there's 2.6 millimeters. So um, you know, what, whoever way you want to say it's better or 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 more dense, lower um, uh, pitch size will mean higher density. Uh, higher pitch size will mean less density. Okay. So uh, what what people are familiar with, like with outdoor billboards, those are very, very uh, high pitch screens, like 4.8 or 8 millimeter, 12 millimeter even in those cases. Because you're seeing them from so far away, you don't have to have that pixel tightness, right? You've got it. Your eye basically uh, blends in uh, the pixels together, uh, just like what you're seeing here behind us, um, except that it does that uh, at, a, at a much greater distance, which allows you to get away with, with less pixels. Okay, so the Mandalorian, they're using a bigger, you know, a, what do they call it again? What's the term again? <laughs> pitch, uh, pitch size. Yeah, I okay. mean, you can say pitch or you can say density or or whatever is easier for you. I so I say pixels. That's my problem. So I know pixels. I, it's actually the diodes, right? Exactly. Um, I guess the comparable thing to think about would be like DPI, uh, like dots per inch, that type of thing. Um, yeah. So so in the case of Mandalorian and in most of these types of um, uh, virtual production shoots where they do in camera effects uh, with LED, um, the screens are very large. They're pretty far away, like over 20 feet away from the camera. Um, and uh, that, that requires them to be huge. And oftentimes they're also uh, curved, like there's a horseshoe shape and then the ceiling uh, uh, panels as well. Okay. And so we'll go to Jocelyn on this. How, why did Mandalorian choose to use this technology? What was, do you know what the reason why they kind of jumped into this? Just vaguely. Uh, because it's a really cool thing to do with filmmaking, and they can. Um, I, that's I imagine why I would do it. Um, and partly why we got into this was, uh, you know, the the way to do this beforehand was green screen, and everyone knows how green screen works. It's on every major blockbuster film. Um, well, you know, everyone uses green screen to get the effects of not being able to actually shoot something in real life, and with virtual production it's kind of uh, like a new turn of visual effects now because 
instead of you know having a green wall behind the actor and then everyone on set kind of pretending they know what's back there and maybe some people actually do but most people are just kind of guessing like oh it's green back there so you know it, someone will fix it in post and what's really exciting about virtual production is that especially with led walls is that you can now everyone on set can actually see it so um something i should note out uh right now is that the main camera that we're using right now, this camera isn't being tracked. So this is actually this perspective. And you probably saw as uh, we started this uh, this shoot that like the background was moving. You can kind of see it was a little uh, kind of a warped or just kind of a different perspective for this camera right here. And that the reason for that is because the first camera we started with, that's the one that's being tracked right now. And so when this camera moves around, the background will move. And so there's kind of like, that's kind of to give you an idea of how this like this uh, technology works on set is that this camera right now is really what every cast member and crew member is seeing on set. So they're not, nobody's really guessing what's back there. Like we can all look back here and see this LED wall and go, oh, there's like some ships flying by. There's, you know, there's these blue lights and all of this. So um, I think that's really a big difference between why um, people want to do virtual production now is because it brings the collaborative uh, effort back on set together because that visual effects artist can actually be on set and make changes on the fly on these LED walls. And that's really exciting because I think that's you know where filmmaking started was everyone was on set to kind of make this magic happen. And then we kind of lost that a little bit with green screen because then a bunch of those post team had to do it offsite at way after filmmaking is done on production. But now we're kind of bringing everyone back on set and saying, let's just get this shot like finalized in camera and we're done. Like we don't have to do as much work in post anymore. Right. I think the other advantage is um, that you don't have to travel people necessarily to bizarre locations. You can send out a small crew to shoot plates for you, for example, or obviously in CG with Unreal, you can generate uh, fantastic locations like this and uh, without it really any problem for, you know, big crew travels or expenses and like that. So I think that kind of really might resonate with the indie filmmaker um, as much as anything, the chance to be able to do a little bit more of a fantastic concept uh, without going crazy with the budget. So exactly. Um, there's also creative benefits as well. Um, I think some of the ones that came into play for Mandalorian and for a lot of the other projects that we've been engaged with were things like reflections. Um, people had shiny uh, suits or they, you know, have some type of glass uh, visor or something like that. And it's it's in those situations like you can see here. I don't know if you can see it, but with my glasses, like as as the refraction um, uh, as the as the photons go from the screen through my glasses, it refracts and everything like that. And you get all that stuff for free because this is real photons coming out, bouncing everywhere and then going into the lens. Right. right. So um, uh, so th th that's one of the other major benefits. So if you have an environment where there are a lot of reflective um, uh, surfaces, uh, translucent surfaces, glass, uh, ice, that type of stuff, um, this is going to be um, a better choice versus green screen in, in, in those cases um, because you avoid a lot of the issues with translucency in, in green screen. Yeah, I think a, a lot of people will use it. This is a good indie tip as well if you have a film that's all set in a car or driving across the country or something like that, it's very expensive to travel the crew unless you do it really raw. But if you can actually work out an LED solution, you can have them in the car, you can have interactive light on the windshields and the, and the chrome, and you can have moving background and everything in sync and the camera can still move around and get the parallax like you were talking about. 
um, without actually ever going anywhere. You've got it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, real briefly, about Unreal Engine. That's another mm -hmm. catchphrase everybody talks about. Like, oh, you have to use Unreal for virtual production. It's like, well, yes and no for certain types. So do you want to address that? Yeah. Um, so Unreal Engine are definitely, um, that's, uh, okay, so I'd, let's start from the top. Uh, Unreal Engine is a real-time uh, graphics engine that was originally developed uh, for by Epic Games um, for a video game, for a multiplayer uh, uh, first-person shooter. Um, called Unreal Tournament, so that's where that's where the name came from. Um, it, they haven't changed the name, but uh, since then, um, the actual engine has uh, expanded dramatically in its complexity. So uh, they've got stuff where they're able to do uh, compositing uh, in real time. Uh, that's a tool called Composure, um, and they have a tool called End Display that allows you to do uh, these types of multi-screen uh, backdrops. Um, and then uh, they also, they're a platform that people can develop on. So you can create content uh, that then you can play back on Unreal Engine. And then you can also create tools, which is what we do at AR Wall, that actually make it easier to do these types of illusions for filmmaking. That's a good, good lead in there. You uh -oh. even know it. But first, let's touch on one important point about Unreal. Now, granted, there's caveats, heavy caveats to this, but yes. <laughs> Unreal is free. Um, yes. So uh, if you're if you're a creator and you're look, just looking to like uh, make some content with Unreal, you're not necessarily um, developing like software or anything like that. And it's relatively free for you to use. There's costs associated with like getting some assets, getting some uh, required uh, tools or plugins that you might need. Um, but uh, I don't I, I guess think this is true that Unreal Engine, I think, is open source. Um, there's some caveats to that. Open source doesn't mean exactly the same thing that it used to mean uh, when the idea of open source started. But um, uh, yeah, it's possible to actually get get the software, uh, take a look at the source, um, and then actually develop uh, custom solutions. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about ARWall because I think what makes you special, and I'm sure you have competitors, but we're talking about you today. Uh, you have a special sauce. So. You may be using Unreal, but there's more to what you offer as a company that makes it even easier to work with. Yeah, um, exactly. One of the things, um, I'll let Jocelyn talk about this as well, but uh, one of the things um, that we do is we help democratize uh, the approach that filmmakers have to this type of technology. Um, common thing that we that we hear from filmmakers is they, you know, they dive into Unreal Engine. Sometimes they're even fellows in, in the Unreal uh, Fellowship, and then they they start uh, wanting to like let's generate some content. Let's uh, partner up with some content creators, um, but they find that it's uh, the, the technical hurdles are still too great uh, for their expertise. So like, you know, filmmakers, we, we like software to be a certain way, uh, some level of simplicity, some level of uh, control. Um, and we don't necessarily like to be like writing command line uh, code or anything like that. Um, so like what we did was uh, create a version of the technology that has no coding uh, no programming, makes it very simple uh, to use on set. Um, we can actually display that, I don't know. Jocelyn, do you want to display? Uh, sure. Or if you, you want to continue talking, I'll, I'll pull it up. Okay, so um, so we can show you a little bit of, of what we've actually got. Uh, so, so real quickly, on this, I'm looking at this camera, uh, <laughs> we are actually on a stage that has yeah. two large LED walls, both powered by air wall systems. And Jocelyn can show you a little bit. Some of these are obviously fully generated, computer-generated ones in Unreal, so they're real time. So I'll, I'll let uh, Renee and Jocelyn take it from here. Step off so I can actually do it. Okay, okay. she's going to step off. 
Do it, um, okay, so so uh, yeah, let me give you some information first about what you're seeing here uh, today. So this, so we're at Soapbox Films in Burbank, and what we're showing off here is this is our uh, older screen, our first screen uh, behind us is a 20.5 by 11.5 foot, uh, 1.5 millimeter uh, screen, and then we have a second screen over here, same pixel density. Um, this is a slightly smaller screen, uh, but still very high quality, and this is a newer screen. So you're seeing something pretty rare here, like. You know, basically, we have a, a, a lunar kind of screen set up right here that we're working on uh, as you get to see both of these. Um, so what's happening is this this camera right here actually has trackers that are sitting on top of it. And as this camera moves, then the backdrops will create a parallax illusion. Let your pan over there, Patrick, and to the screen and you can kind of see how there's a parallax to his yeah. camera if you stand up. So see how it creates a parallax. Um, yeah. Through the camera. So, all right. So Jocelyn has brought up um, our, our software here. So this is, um, there's two versions uh, right now. Um, one is, uh, okay, so this one that's right here behind my head. Sorry, this is a little bit awkward. Um, this one that's right here behind my head, this is uh, called the AirFX Launcher. This is actually a piece of software where you do not even need to open Unreal Editor in order to create these illusions. It comes with a scene pack. Um, this is one of the scenes that, that is contained in it. It has quite a few other ones in it. Um, so this is something that people can license uh, for demos, whatever the case may be. Um, you can see how easy it is to use. It's about as easy as, um, I don't know if you can see, but it's about as easy as uh, setting up a second monitor on your uh, PC. It's uh, super simple. And, um, and then the other one, uh, the one that's over here, um, that is uh, our AirFX plugin. This is something that you would open in a real editor. This allows you to all the controls that you would need. And this is something that we developed over uh, four years. And uh, it resulted in something pretty simple and something pretty straightforward. There's a lot of magic happening uh, under the hood um, on both of these. Uh, that's kind of what we do as a company. And so like some things you'll notice here is um, there's no coding, there's no blueprints. Uh, there's nothing like that. It's very, very simple to use the technology. In actuality, um, the launcher, the red one, um, is something that you can get up and running within 15 minutes of like receiving yeah. the kit. And uh, and that's we've done that before with people, and it's pretty shocking uh, when you get that happening. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, I'm sure we'll get more into some of the details uh, soon. Um, let's go talk a little bit about some of the things we were talking about earlier, like. For a filmmaker trying to get into this, what kind of things do they need to, need to do to prep if they have a script that they feel has a virtual environment that they would like to, in ways that they can keep the cost low? Like, yeah. for example, LED, what types of LED walls are there? And I know we talked about the pitch, um, mm -hmm. but is there other concerns that they have to be aware of? Sure. Um, uh, do you want to take that? Why don't you take that? Uh, sure. So for LED walls, well, I guess if we're talking about different uh, types of budgets and sizes of budgets, the you're not actually tied to LED walls. Uh, I know that's the most popular and it is like the most beautiful version because you get this like beautiful light spill on, on your actors. Uh, and if you get enough LED walls around your actor, you may not even have to light them properly. You can just let the LED walls light them because all of that, all of that information is all within these scenes. And so if you hook up the lights or the LED walls around your actor, you can get that like seamless, beautiful uh, volume of light uh, without having, and, and while the camera is moving, which is really cool. So that is kind of like your upper budget version of what you might do with LED walls. And um, 
at Arrow, well, we kind of, uh, and at here at Soapbox, we've actually um, done a version of this that's a little bit cheaper, which basically we, uh, we've done versions where like the main screen that you see behind me is uh, what we call the hero wall. And that will have like the smallest millimeter pitch, which means that when the camera is shooting right on that wall, you get a really nice seamless look. This is what your kind of effect you're getting. And if the, uh, the user, inner, uh, the interfaces weren't up, that like would look like a seamless background behind us. And then the other walls that you would use as lighting around your actor, that actually can be a lower pitched wall to kind of save money because each of these walls can be pretty pricey to purchase or to rent. And if you get a lower pitched, uh, sorry, a, a higher pitch wall. So if you get like a 4.5 or an eight millimeter pitch wall, they tend to go down uh, dramatically in pricing just because you don't actually plan on shooting the camera on those walls, but they can still provide really great lighting around your actor. Um, and then if you wanted to like go even lower on the budget, you don't even have to go with LED walls. We can do with uh, projections. Um, projection walls are you know, also a great uh, way to do virtual production. Everyone on set can still see it. The only difference is that you know uh, it won't be as bright as an LED wall. So depending on the scene and the lighting effect you want on the actors, yeah. that can make uh, if if it works with a, pro, uh, a projection wall, that can absolutely save a whole lot of money because I think uh, you know a projector, a really nice projector, can be around a. And $150,000, at least that was what it was before the pandemic started. I'm not sure how the pricing has changed since then. Um, compared to like, if you wanted to purchase an LED wall, they tend to start around $250,000, which is, you know, at least $100,000 more. And that's really just for like one wall. And then uh, if you want to go even lower in the budget, um, you can actually use television screens. So let's say you don't actually need a huge wall behind your actor. Um, let's say you're actually just needing it in a window on, on, on a, like a kitchen set or like through a doorway. There are, you know, large TVs, even, you know, consumer ones that, you know, they go up to like 90 inches. And then there are these really large TVs that are about 128 inches in diameter or sorry, in diagonally. So that actually tends to be like a pretty sizable wall that you could have one or two actors right in front of. And then uh, a television is just much cheaper than uh, either of the options before. The LED wall is obviously the most expensive. And then the projection walls are tend to be kind of in the middle range. And then television screens, you know, they can be as cheap as, you know, a few hundred bucks to, to be able to purchase that and then getting the same effect. And um, while I'm speaking on televisions, I guess I should also mention that we do have a home studio version of our technology. It works exactly the same that you see ha happening here. Um, we actually have a little box right here. Um, Maybe this Patrick is, can get a shot of this. Yeah, this is a, this is basically yeah. a nice, cute little box that you could put next to your living room television. Um, Mark, and, can we show that? Yeah, the camera too. This guy right here. And um, Air Effects Home Studio. That's the that's the name of it. If you're interested in this, you can go to our website. This is basically a kit, so that uh, it, this is the actual um, uh, like PC box that's powering the processing and everything like that. But this comes with a kit with tracking, with cables, uh, with a mount for your smartphone, everything that you would need to basically uh, connect um, your camera to your TV and get these kind of parallax solutions. It also comes with a scene starter pack, uh, 10 different maps that uh, have different lighting iterations, beautiful different backdrops. So that's over 100 different backdrops uh, that we're uh, including with this. Uh, so that's available now if people are interested. So that's basically like the rough answer is if you're interested in doing it yourself, then you have to purchase 
hardware uh, and get software that allows you to do that, as well as the tracking technology. Uh, we put all those pieces together into a simple kit that's called AirFX Home Studio. Yep. If you're interested in uh, hiring someone to accomplish this for you, um, you can approach a virtual production supervision team. Uh, AR Wall happens to uh, be one of those uh, teams. There's not that many of us uh, in the industry, uh, so we're happy to answer any questions that people may have because um, we're one of the few. And uh, basically, it starts off with a conversation about your production, and then uh, usually we're handed a script or we're handed pages or a specific sequence. And um, as supervisors, our job generally uh, starts with turning the script and pages into an actual budget and number and plan. And usually that plan will include time, uh, cost, uh, thoughts about the size of the equipment, type of equipment. Um, and then also in some situations, uh, suggestions um, like, hey, uh, th this since we're going to have this screen up for this scene, um, we might we have these two other scenes that required you know the exact same type of screen setup. It would be really simple to just add these onto the to right. that shoot that type of thing. Great, um, Kayla. If you were trying to get a question or two, I couldn't hear you. So try it again. There we go. <laughs> oh, it cut out. You got to hold the button down harder. Um, I think I got some of that about production sound. Um, sound. Yeah. How does that interact with the virtual production side? Um, so that's uh, that's something that not a lot of work has been done on. There is some um, that emerging stuff that I can mention. Um, one of the things that that can happen in these real time engines um, is that you can actually associate uh, audio, three D audio, with different uh, spaces. Like you know, can actually have an object that is emitting the sound. So as you get closer to the object, as you rotate around, it shifts around in stereo to you and stuff like that. So um, I'm not saying that productions necessarily use that, but there is a world in the future in which you would grab that kind of metadata of like you know what audio is doing this or that, and then you could actually um, output like it's kind of crazy like wild sound from the engine as a to inform the the um, audio editor and mixer like this is kind of like mm -hmm. what it should be like over here and then when we walk over here it's a little bit less like that or whatever the case may be um as i mentioned there's not a lot, a lot of work being done in syncing um audio to these types of effects but i think in the future uh, there will be yeah. because we, obviously these are things that that happen in game engines um you know game engines have audio and all that audio has to be um, you know, like uh, motivated by the environment. So we can yeah. piggyback on that. Yeah, it's two things. It's it's new technology. So um, it, there's still things to be discovered. And at the same time, the more complexity you add to it like that, the more expensive it's going to be. So if we're trying <laughs> to keep it indie, you know, think post sound maybe and things like that. So um, let's jump forward. Let me have a look at my my watch. Yeah, I want to make sure leave time. Um, let's, let's jump forward and invite Chris in. Chris is with Soapbox uh studio soapbox films chris chris and chris i don't even know it's your Allender. last name you're gonna have to it's allender Al allender yeah and you're allender. the ceo right yeah okay so um let's talk a little bit about the stage process of this whole virtual one of the things always people want to know is you have this great image back there let's say it's a desert mm -hmm. um Maybe Jocelyn's going to pull up a one. desert. <laughs> we have a desert. We and, have a desert. But you want to continue that. You need inter you need to interact or uh, integrate that to a foreground, so people are walking around here on a desert as well. Right. 
what's what's the experience there and what's the tips you have for that yeah um i mean ideally if you have the money um we've got a desert over here now um <laughs> there's uh you would you would have a production designer um art director you know a traditional type of team like mm -hmm. that build if it were a desert you would probably bring in uh some sort of steel deck risers or something with some couple inch you know curb on it and you'd actually fill it in with sand yeah. and um jump through <laughs> as many hoops as you could to try to get that uh level to come up and and meet where the uh screen exists so, so there's a little overlap yeah. so it blends yeah and that's the hardest thing i think is to have like a a floor and that run into each other and there's you can watch there's a bunch of um behind the scenes specials about the mandalorian where they it's only really hot yeah it's getting it's hot. really hot in here um yeah, but that's the integration. So any other yeah. tips in terms of stages with the, how people should approach? Like if, if an indie film wanted to come yeah, and use... Yeah, I mean, if you're not showing their feet, uh, mm -hmm. it becomes a lot easier because then you start to build in foreground pieces and it starts to sell the illusion a lot better too to have not only this parallax in the background that's changing when the camera moves, but also foreground elements. Like we just did a commercial um, a few weeks ago uh, where it took place in like, it was just a guy on his laptop Kind of like this setup down here although it was you know a standing desk and he was in a, a loft apartment like a nice yeah. downtown apartment and so that was all just completely fake we bought it uh we bought the set on um, unreal marketplace for like forty dollars um we spent a little time relighting it ourselves so that it looked the way we wanted and then we just had like a, a wooden table a laptop uh, a couple plants and a lamp and that was our whole production design for the yeah. whole process and it really looked great i mean it sold it very well um our assistant editors didn't even know that we had shot it on a virtual wall that brings up a <laughs> that good makes point. us super happy you actually have a, a we have a clip here um can you yeah. kayla play the subway clip Wow, that's great. Yeah. That's really cool. So 
you were in during the clip, Chris was making some comments about the integration there. Go ahead and yeah. mention so those. That was just a test when we first got this thing set up. Um, that was like a three person crew. We had three or four lights. Um, and that's a free um, asset. That whole subway is something that's available. I don't know if it's still free, but every month, like Unreal Engine gives out free stuff. And they had this really cool um, subway that was, I mean, really well textured and modeled. Uh, I think I added um, my own kind of lights, like a little, I barely even know how to use Unreal Engine, but I was, <laughs> I, I know how to use Cinema 4D and stuff like that. So it's pretty quick to, um, to get into it. I added like a little looping light going down, like as if there was a, a subway tunnel going by. And we had, I think, an LED, one or two LED kind of lights that had like the built-in like presets you could put in like police siren or whatever and yeah. it was so that was doing that to our actress because we didn't have our we didn't have any side panels for that um and it was a good example of the kind of foreground stuff where we brought in a c-stand that was the pole she was holding um but it kind of looked like oh, great yeah. <laughs> a subway pole until we you see it at the end you know, i just thought it was a subway pole yeah. but then you realize oh no yeah, yeah so it's a c-stand we had um some old plexiglass that we use for when we're like spraying stuff at our lens that we had in the storage room. So we brought that out, clamped that up and put graffiti on it and smeared soap on it. So it looked like yeah. an old window and shot through that. And that was just such a great opportunity. If you've ever done post uh, compositing and green screen work that shooting through glass or especially dirty glass or stuff that's refractive or smeared up and, that's just very difficult. Um, yeah. Very difficult to clean up and make look, make look good. Very difficult to get shallow focus hair um, to look nice. Um, and even if you're handheld and close, like like this camera over here, just even being able to see your tracking markers if you put them up to track your background is very difficult. And all that stuff you get in camera yeah. um, for free. And when you get into post, it's it's exciting because you have like an hour of footage, you know, yeah. that's all usable and ready to go versus just like a bunch of green stuff that you have to pick and choose, you know, yeah. how much, if you're doing it yourself, that's one thing, but that's time and money. Um, yeah. That you don't have to spend. No, that's great. One of the, one of the like things I want to point out on that clip is just how important um, still production design and lighting still are to uh, creating the illusion. Like we can do all our work at AR wall to create an incredible backdrop. Um, but it's really about the, the, the work that the cinematographer and the lighting team does to wrap that light in that world around the actor, um, which is why we've been focused. Some of the recent work that we've done is so focused on immersive lighting. Uh, and I think we do have a video that shows off some, uh, some of that stuff that as well. Um, so this is the cuboid, uh, video. This is, uh, very new I don't think anyone's ever oh, is seen that this. the music video. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I loaded that. <laughs>
is. Great. Um, so that what you just saw is uh, something new that we've developed. It's meant to be an affordable approach. Instead of going to the Mandalorian route and spending all that cash, um, this is meant to be a solution that provides the same result, but at the absolute lowest kind of budget-minded uh, level. Yeah, so that's a good example of the whole interactivity, creating an interactive light around everything. Uh, so that's great. Uh, the, we had a question about um, depth of field, the depth of field in that subway. How, how is yeah, that created? Um, so you can, in Unreal Engine, you can actually dial in fake depth of field, um, but so that the things that are very far away are more out of focus than the things that are close. And that's nice to kind of get that in a little bit, but we're really here, really eight, whatever this is, eight, nine, 10 feet from the screen. And the anything at that plane is gonna behave as if it's eight, nine, 10 feet away from the, right. from the subject that's in focus. So you get all that pretty much for free. Um, the yeah and there's and usually if you're that wide um there's not that much depth of field happening in the background yeah. you're not shooting like a f1 or anything. but you're saying with the system you can you can dial it in just it so that yeah so you, you can, can fake it if you say i know that um, i'm going to be shallowed up the field and and maybe your actor is a little bit closer to the screen for some reason um then you can add in extra depth of field there but then the whole screen is going to get affected by its proximity to the but the also because plane. it's a 3d world are you yeah. dialing in it, the depth of field in depth That's yes what I mean. yeah, yeah sorry yeah. um so so this is an instance of where um we have it dialed in on digital and then it Jocelyn's also it. you're also yeah. getting jocelyn's all over this it's uh it's it's digital and then it's dialing in it's getting some from the camera so we're combining the focus and just to be clear this is one of the the remaining like major technical hurdles for this type of illusion is like you know defocus isn't stack you it, you don't you don't get bouquet and then get more bouquet like because you digitally um defocus it right so um this is something that i think still remains a hurdle some of the advice that i would give is whenever you are changing uh your lens length you do want to change the ratio of camera distance to subject and everything because what will happen is if you cut from a long lens to a short lens, you know, to your wide and everything like that, and you don't change the camera, your subject distance or anything, you're going to end up with the exact same, um, like, kind of level of bokeh on every single backdrop. So it's just something that you, you wouldn't face unless you were doing in edit and you actually were like, oh, gosh, the bokeh, you know, looks exactly the same on every shot. So it's like um, just one of, you know, one of those insider uh, tips that we've learned. Um, Kayla, let's yeah. bring up that, that sound question again. I don't think we answered it correctly. So... Uh, Daniel says, how does working with virtual production tools change your approach to sound? Do you find production sound slash dialogue easier to capture, more useful, or do you lean into doing more audio in post? Yeah. So it's a little more like, for instance, on our the spaceship background with the, if you were on a location with that many vehicles, yeah. it would be horrible, right? Yeah. Here it's completely silent. So that's, you know, an advantage <laughs> that you have here where we're not hearing the wind of this uh, desert blowing all around us yeah. and things like that. I mean, there is we're in some, space now. We're not no in the desert. Yeah, and in space, no one can hear your production. Sound but you, anyway. but your pro actual production sounds pretty clean too, Very because clean. you're in a stage. Yeah. As opposed to like the driving reference I made. If you had to do a driving shot, I actually did a web series where the whole episode was driving in a car, and exactly. I actually had to shoot it for real. Mm -hmm. uh, and I ended up doing green screen, which yeah. made a lot of sense. But it would have been so much easier with LED. But yeah you want to preserve that production sound as much as you can because you can always fix that and not fix it in post, but right. enhance it in post. Yeah. And these have some sound, but it's, it's pretty minimal. I mean, each one of these is a is like a tiny TV all yeah. stacked together and they do have fans, but 
I mean, we also have the air conditioning on right now, and yeah. it's much louder than the yeah. than the screen. And really, still, it's very quiet here. What else we have, Kayla? Yeah. So, in other words, not that many production sound um, stuff. I guess the, unless, unless you consider just the fact that you're in studio yeah. to be it's a like benefit. A like so, a Charles screen. says, "Does the current tech allow the camera to focus onto the LED wall and into the virtual environment?" That's a little bit what you were talking about, creating. Yeah. You know, can you track a lens that so that coming. it knows the depth? So, so, so you can. Um, we actually do have this as a solution. It's called ARFX Infinite with lens emulation. The problem, as you can imagine, is you you rack focus the physical lens, right? And then it go and it hits the surface of the screen. Um, but then the digital camera at that point needs to take over. The other <laughs> complexity is you generally don't want to be focusing on the plane of the screen. Um, so, like, how would you achieve that? You'd have to be slightly off. And then, and um, so there, there are people that are developing this. I think Moses is one of them. They have a solution where, like, basically you um, uh, you ride the shuttle, the the focus shuttle, and you basically you focus forward, and then at the point that it hits the surface of the screen, then the physical um, you know like servo stops, and then the virtual camera continues to uh, rack focus into the environment. So, the so there are people working on it, but it's it. it like I don't want to say that it's like a perfect solution. Yeah, the problem yet. with that is you're you have to focus on the screen to see the screen, yeah. right? You can't focus thirty feet away from it; it'll be out of focus. And then, but your person or your foreground subject is so. If you focus past them to the screen and then keep going, they're not going to change, yeah. right? So I we I find that every time someone gets involved in this, they're very concerned about depth of field early on. It's a lot of the questions that they have, and those tend to go away um because you're not really if you're here to film the screen then just like record the screen as a as an element yeah don't shoot it like yeah. just export it and yeah put it in your it's cut. a background yeah. treat it as a background exactly so, yeah. yeah all right what else we got kill i'm leaning in so i can read the question abraham says does unreal engine come with camera tracking technology or do developers make their own solutions so currently unreal engine does not um this hasn't hasn't created uh, a tracking technology. However, um, most people have standardized onto the HTC Vive system, and for like the AirFX um, uh, Home Studio, that's a good place for beginners to start. So that's generally what we uh, recommend, and that is bundled in with the Home Studio. So you don't have to get your own uh, tracking tech in those instances. That's cool. All right, Kayla. <laughs> I'm assuming we have more, right? Okay, good. Ryan, hi, Ryan. For productions like The Mandalorian, what percentage of shots get final pixels directly from the LED wall in camera compared to the shots that still have to replace the background in post? Or let's even address that to clean it. I think it's lower than they want you to believe. Uh, there's a lot of work yeah. going on uh, on The Mandalorian. Um, there's a lot of cleanup, but I mean, like that's the that's the that's the short answer is that there's there's going to continue to be cleanup, particularly in those instances where you do want to change something in the background. Um, we worked on we worked on a um, Chris and I worked on a project where we had a lot of green screen elements that had to be placed into the backdrops, but we didn't necessarily have those green screen elements prior to shooting with the LED wall. So those had to be placed in post. All, all those green screen elements uh, had to be placed in post. So I think um, in most instances, uh, whenever you're using this technology, it is also going to be you know an effects-heavy production. So in those instances, there does still tend to be a lot of cleanup. Okay. Yeah, and it really just depends on... I don't have a ratio. Yeah. 
on the project. <laughs> I, I think there's more than you think, but then there's other ways. The more um, experience you get with the technology, mm -hmm. um, the more you can, just like any technology, you, yeah. you kind of know how to circumvent extra work for you down the line and, yeah. you, and you start to get smarter about it and, and there's less and less uh, but there's other times where you just you just have to uh, but it's still going to look better in some cases than having just done it all green yeah and then we also have the option they've built in tools now where you can just hit a button and make it green or yeah. make it blue it's like well we don't have this background yeah Boom, now good. we have a green screen yeah. we don't have to light a rag it's pretty pretty cool that yeah, that can just cool. go it's on. a common enough request that we just you know we have a thing where okay pull the green screen up it has some markers um and we can also do previous for those as well um right. okay we yeah, got I another got one all hey, right this Juliana. one's for us <laughs> hey juliana by the way <laughs> hey, juliana. Um, she's a friend of mine uh not that you aren't all friends of mine uh what's the smallest pixel pitch air wall has used on a project and is there a limiting factor at a point where it makes no difference for, to the eye or camera if it's any smaller yeah so there's so um, more let's also add what is the smallest pitch that exists okay <laughs> yeah okay um so we have standardized a 1.5 millimeter and the reason for that is because it tends to be a good balance of cost and quality and it also allows the stages to be a lot smaller so here we're in about a 40 by 60 foot um a space it's a little bit larger than that but i'm i'm generalizing um it's it's a relatively small uh space it's uh, this is stage a uh here at this and it's a beautiful soundproof facility um, but but to get the most out of this space, you have to have the pixel density a lot tighter. So the 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 higher the pixel pitch, uh, you know, you got into 2.6 and 3.6 and that type of stuff, the further the camera away has to be. Uh, yeah. And like one rule of thumb to use on that is you take the pitch size, you multiply that by 2000 or 3000. We use 2000. Uh, and then you arrive at the minimum distance from camera to screen. So 1.5 millimeter times 2,000, that's three meters. So, you know, three meters, it has to be three meters away. That's the general guidance. Um, so there's two restrictions that you're going to have. One is space your uh, space and budget. Like you're not going to have the space and budget to actually get a larger screen and, and you know, everything like that. But you still want to be able to get, you know, nice, uh, nice looking images. So you're going to have to go lower, lower pitch. However, it is more expensive uh, to go lower pitch. Uh, so that's another consideration. Most of the people that we're talking to are anywhere between 1.5 and 2.6. And what is the smallest that exists? And what is the smallest that exists? Um, somebody was talking about a 0 0.7 millimeter. And just to be clear, that means that it's less than one millimeter. Um, and that's, that's starting to get into the realm where like a consumer TV has that type of pixel oh, density. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, but they did on the Mandalorian. They actually replaced their whole screen for the second season, I believe, because it was tighter pitch. it was too big and it was yeah. causing. They had to use a full format, a large format camera. They had to use sixty five millimeter. Yeah, and their production. screen's huge, so they it were able huge. to get away from it a yeah. little bit. But they the were running season. into more issues yeah. on the first season, and yeah. they had to. I think they. I don't know any inside stuff. It's just I think it's in the documentaries, okay. but they replaced it all. Watch the documentary. It actually is really good. I love it. What's it's on the Disney minimum? Plus. So uh, Fab Two Productions says, "What's the minimum budget per shooting day needed with this technology, excluding crew, just the studio and technology?" You were talking about that a little bit, Chris. Yeah. About what? I think our list rate is around ten thousand a day for the stage, the power, the screen, a uh, person who operates, like who actually operates the. Uh, computer so that you have somebody who knows what's going on um on top of that you have to create your assets i mean mm -hmm. or you can just use pre-made stuff but you either have to make them yourself hire an artist 
um but then you're not you're usually spending a lot so you know like a a regular stage in in hollywood's probably three to six thousand a day for just an empty room um so you know fairly affordable compared to mandalorian size screens i know are in the there's some couple of those around town now and they're they're in the 70 to hundred twenty thousand dollar a day like Uh, you can spend money if you want like that's that's the answer you can spend money here i mean 10k a day is kind of the the uh the basement to think about and then the i mean i should mention we have kind of like a standing offer with a number of record labels of like thirty thousand um thirty thousand to do like a music a music video so that basically what that means is that's the creative involved um that is uh, a half day of tech rehearsal uh which is uh mandatory uh, we have to bring in the camera and lens uh, prior ahead of the shoot, and then um, and then the actual day of shooting, uh, and and the creative that generally goes along with that, which is like one to one to three scenes depending on complexity. So that's hopefully that gives people an idea. Yeah, and the important thing to remember, not that they're you're going to talk them into doing it for free, but uh, I have personal experience of we calling up Jocelyn and Renee and saying I have a project and working with them about it. So there's there's a lot of gray area in this whole yeah. world. Make sure to connect with somebody and, like AR Wall or Soapbox and work with them on it. And you may discover either less expensive ways to approach things or more creative ways to spend your money. It's never going to be, it is new technology. It's not going to be, you know, if you're making a $5,000 movie, you're probably going to have trouble. Yeah, it's it's not know. an alternative to shooting a thing in your friend's apartment, right. living room, <laughs> uh, but it's yeah. an alternative to going to the desert with yeah. a huge crew. Exactly. You know, it's alternative to or what's really exciting is when you start to do multiple locations yeah. you know how f- if we had a scene in this in a jungle or whatever like this and the next scene was in the desert how much would that cost us I yeah mean, if, imagine we wanted to shoot it in the same day that would yeah. be impossible the crew move um, and just the yeah so you know and say you wanted to do this at night right after we shot the daytime thing like yeah. she can hit a button probably and make it night um i didn't we didn't plan on that but you know she can change the lighting oh, like she's that. talented um see she's, she's gonna do something oh, that's but nice. you know okay. the, the amount of time it would take for 20 grips to move all the lights re-rig all this the yeah. gaffers the art department the all that stuff yeah. and it's in the can or say you've got an actor who you've got two actors three actors in the scene one of them can't be here because uh, of covid or whatever it is uh, we can dial this back up in two weeks with the push of a button yeah. instead of storing all the stuff in a uh, warehouse and tearing it down and yeah. trucking it back over and building it and getting you know it's just it just adds up yeah you gotta think take the whole picture oh. into play when you do it. okay what else we got kate we have just a little bit more time hey kate uh kate carson says what are a few key things an independent filmmaker needs to know about filming in virtual production to demystify the virtual production process for low budget projects? Kate, Kate always asks great questions. <laughs> um, I can take this. Uh, so there's there's two main things that you, that you need to um, remember. One is that um, all the environments need to be created ahead of time. So we're returning to kind of a traditional set design and set, you know, set construction method where you create all the sets and then you go inside them and you shoot, right? Which is not the way that it's done with traditional like green, uh, green screen uh, compositing and that type of stuff. So that's the first thing uh, to understand. The second thing to understand is um, your tech rehearsal is going to be where you solve a lot of the technical issues and also where the uh, cast and crew get onboarded onto the technology. So those tech rehearsals are very important. And generally, 
we recommend half a day for every shoot day. And, you know, the general rule is for every hour that you spend on tech rehearsal, you're going to save yourself two to four hours on set. And that's that's a massive uh, consideration. Yeah. Yeah. There's also. Yeah. Pre-production is longer. You know, it's just longer. Um, But post-production is potentially way shorter. Um, And you're making a lot of decisions early and getting a lot of more people on board early. Um, But you got to be decisive. (laughs) Yeah. From my if I were to answer that question, it's you're combining more so than ever the art department, the visual effects department, set design, cinematography, obviously directing and such all very early in the mm-hmm. process. No longer mm-hmm. can people just work in a vacuum and say, we'll just fix it in post yeah. if you're doing this virtual production. You need a production designer who is at least on board with this idea or yeah. savvy. You're still going to have a production designer, but you may not have 20, um, you know, carpenters. Like you'll have grip or you'll have um, CG generalists or people like that who you can hire from around the world uh, if you need. Yeah. Uh, and they don't have to be local to... Burbank or Los Angeles. Um, So that's kind of exciting because it gives you a lot more opportunity to hire the best people in the world on every project. Um, Yeah, and there's a project that we've been talking about and um, there's an integration between who's going to make the models for the, it was a sci-fi thing, who's going to make the models for the background and then post-production visual effects has to do a certain number of effects of their own. So they need to work with the pre-production and art department model builders and also make sure it works in Unreal because the post visual effects don't work necessarily in Unreal. Yeah. So there's a lot of communication that happens. So I think that's the key, which is always a key with filmmaking, but communication, communication. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, the collaborative aspect is is ratcheted up so much more since those visual effects artists, those CG generalists, they're you know they're right there. I I mean, on set or in some cases in a Zoom chat, um, uh, collaborating at a very early stage, which means that you can a lot of the uncertainty that a production designer has about like, okay, how's my thing going to translate into digital? Usually that's something that they don't even touch. They're like on another project. And some, uh, uh, some artist is doing that months or or even a year later, instead of that, like they can actually um, get a video walkthrough or even uh, open up the scene and take a look at it and go like, Oh, it doesn't look right. Or, you know, it needs a little bit more of this kind of patina or that, um, so that that's that type of stuff is is really key and and uh, yeah, I think that's an important part of the process. Is like, I think most people would imagine that this is a visual effects um, uh, a category. Like this, a lot of this work that we're doing is very visual effects oriented and everything like that. It does tend to be a lot of production design. Uh, a lot of the artists that we hire, they are like architects. Uh, their background in architecture and that type of stuff. Uh, so that that is uh, something else to understand about this. Right. Okay, uh, I think we have time for one more question, Kayla. Oh, she put it up already. Hef uh, Film says, could you theoretically put another tracker on the person off screen and track the actor's position relative to the real world tracked camera and use this to control the depth of field in Unreal somehow? <laughs> That's a very specific question. I mean, I, I, I love the ingenuity. <laughs> I love the ingenuity. Um, you want a job? You can come and figure it out for us. I mean, like, um, I don't know exactly what, what you're suggesting here, but the idea of having um, tracking the actor is something that we've been considering. Um, so there's lots of trackers that we can place on the body of an actor and have them do this, that, or the other. Um, the other thing I can mention is, um, like, there are some instances where people do need digital props. Um, like, they need, a like, a an object in the background there to move, uh, you know, to, according to some cue. Uh, so in those cases, we can use a tracker to like engage that cue. 
Um, and then um, I should also mention we do uh, we do work with uh, deaf cameras, and some of the work that we do is tracking humans to have an effect in the background environment. However, we don't have any instances uh, of doing that. Uh, it's a relatively emerging uh, portion of our business, so I, I don't know. I can't talk about it that much. Sorry. Well, let's make sure we put up AR walls. Uh, ARwall.co is your website, right? Yes. And Soapbox Films. Dot com. Uh, com as well. So make sure to reach out. You get inundated with people asking questions, but that's yeah. probably a good thing. Um, let me ask real quickly, each of you, what are you most excited about the future of virtual production? Renee. Um, <laughs> okay, the future of virtual production. I think for me, what I'm excited about is um, uh, the ease that the technology is gonna is gonna be. I think I've I've lived through those instances of you know green screen being one of those things where like it's extremely difficult and like you know you sat there for hours and to the point where like you know somebody's pressing clicking it on their phone and doing it instantly, right? And I think that this technology is gonna is gonna get to that point. Uh, we hope to be one of the companies that is pushing that forward. But uh, to me, um, you know, there's I think an estimated 500 million video creators out there in the world right now most of them in China and India. Uh, and I think handing these tools to those people is going to result in something super unexpected and exciting. Yeah. Great. Chris? I'm excited for it. I think right now people think about this as kind of the total solution for a filmmaking option. And I'm excited for it to turn into just another tool where if you have a 15 or 20 day feature film, even like an, even an independent film. Um, but to think about tacking one of those days maybe is a virtual wall day um, where you're going to do do it at the end of the production. You do a couple pickups because if you have nice location photography from say you had a really expensive day where you're at Union Station or somebody somewhere like that and you had your wide shots and all your people come in and it's beautiful, but it cost you way more than the rest of your production just to get your crew there and to lock it down, all that stuff. But you've got good uh, reference photography you can throw that into, you don't have to do like CG created backgrounds. You can use photographic backgrounds that are mapped on the 3D geometry. Then you can do the, A, you can do pickups or months later, you could do pickups of like, oh, we, we filmed this in the Grand Canyon, but we need a new line of dialogue. Do the pickups like that. Or you just do, you know, you get in there, you only had an hour while the sun was perfect. You get the wide shots, the master take, and then you come in here from nine to five with the air conditioner and, <laughs> and do, you know, coverage, yeah. um, and do that. Yeah. Or say you have a movie where someone's traveling across the country, like you said, and there's half of it's in a car or something, whatever. But there's like some scene that's like an eighth of a page. The the writer thinks they're so clever that they, you know, they wrote this scene and the producers are like, oh my God, what we can't do one scene at night in Illinois in a phone booth outside of a diner that's like for two lines of dialogue. Yeah. Like that's going to, that's going to be a whole day out of our, but say you have five of those scenes in your movie, you do them in one day in here. And you rent, rent the phone booth, you, you put it right here. And you put like a diner and you do the whole thing through the glass and fake rain and all that stuff. It's it's two lines of dialogue, yeah. but it looks great. And then you switch it and you do a daytime uh, scene where they're on a cliff overlooking the ocean. And yeah. that stuff's exciting to me. And to just, to, just to work it in the same way you're looking through your budget, like, oh, we're going to do two days of Steadicam. Or we're going to get a techno crane on this day because we're in a cool place. Uh, we're going to do green screen on this day. We're going to do a water tank and we're going to do three days of virtual wall. Yeah, that's just, smart. Yeah, using it as a tool, just like yeah. all those other things you mentioned. Great. Well, uh, thank you. 
for joining yeah. us, both of you. Thank you. And thank you. Which camera am I looking at here? <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you for joining us. And uh, please make sure to visit arwall.co and soapboxfilms.com. Uh, and we'll see you next time at the next collective event. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, John. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. Thank you, Jocelyn. I'm looking at the wrong camera. <laughs>